Welcome to the RPG Bot Podcast. I'm Randall James, your anthropomorphic Inyak, and with me is Tyler Kampstra. Hi, everybody. And also Ash Eli. Hail and well met, travelers. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, Tyler, what is happening? Today we're going to talk about the crunchiest possible topic. As crunchy as it gets, we're going to talk about dice. Specifically, we're going to talk about dice math. Ah. And I, I can hear the screaming already, but uh, don't worry. Don't worry. If you're not mathematically inclined, you're going to be fine. We're going to huh? take it slow. We're going to go easy on you. <laughs> Sorry, what? I just fell asleep. What were we talking about? Oh, <laughs> dice math. Uh, okay. Dice <laughs> math. Yeah. So, so chances are, if you have played tabletop RPGs, you've probably rolled dice a few times. So we're going to discuss some things about how those dice work, the math behind how those dice work, and armed with that knowledge, you can go forth into your game and make better decisions when you're looking at, like, I have a weird pile of dice, something's going to happen here, I don't know, I'm going to hope for the best. We're going to fix that, and we're going to give you everything you need to know to look at a pile of dice and say, okay... I have a general idea of what's going to happen here, and I'm going to make an informed decision based on that. Or you could just do what I do and pray to Dice Christ because they're the true savior of luck. And that's how <laughs> that's how dice work, right? Right, guys? <laughs> Wait, have, have any of you just tried lying? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. People at home don't do that. That's not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I guess I laugh at this. So uh, I... I went ahead and checked this. According to Atlassian, about 30% of folks are auditory learners. Uh, so yeah, this one's for you at home and everyone else just, please, you know, come along. It's going to be great. <laughs> because we're doing this in a, as a podcast, I want to call out, we're going to approximate a lot of numbers. Uh, you know, for folks who, who are at home and they really deeply understand this, they're thinking it's like, you know, well, actually the probability of rolling a 12 on 2d6 is uh, 0.027 repeating. No, we're going to say it's about 3%. That that's how we're going to move through this. We'll dive deep into a couple topics, but we'll pick our heads up and we'll really talk about why do these things matter for you. Yeah, so let's let's start by looking at some of the like very fundamental math for how games work. So uh, we have an article on our on RPGBot.net called "The Fundamental Math of Character Optimization for D and D Five E," and that is to this day, the most linked article on the site by a massive, massive margin. If you haven't read it, it's mostly painless. But the basic idea is in 5e, like if you have a plus five modifier at level one, you are considered good at a thing. And if you roll an eight or better on your d20 roll, you're going to succeed on that thing. That is the fundamental mathematical assumption that 5e is built around. So all of the AC progressions, the save DC progression, skill DCs, all those things progress based on that expectation. And basically every tabletop RPG, intentionally or not, has the same sort of assumption built into the game. Knowing that basic formula for the fundamental math plus like what you can do with your modifiers and how the dice work and stuff that's going to help you make decisions about like is it a good time to try this thing like what are my odds of success is this worth actually trying or am i just like blowing into the wind and hoping for the best yeah and so the kind of decisions we want you to be able to make so we talk about 5e this idea of eight plus a modifier uh should get you there if you're if you're truly good at a thing PF2 10 plus proficiency is almost good enough on kind of a medium skill check. We could talk about other games, uh, you know, 
if you're playing one ring, is it better to spread your points out and try to be good at lots of things? Or do the dice math actually say, no, you really should be focusing on, you know, a, a handful of skills or whatever your logos target number is because everything else is hopeless. Ultimately, understanding how to work out the probability of a particular result is going to help you know how to optimize your character for any system. So in other words, we're teaching you how to count cards or dice, but in D&D. Yes. Yeah, actually, that's pretty much exactly it. Like, Perfect. Knowing, knowing <laughs> what the odds are, similar to counting cards and being able to say, like, okay, I've got X percent chance of this happening. Yeah, that's hugely informative. There's a reason casinos don't like you counting cards. It tilts the odds in your favor. We can't make you good at rolling dice. We can make you good at the decisions leading up to rolling dice. That's as far as we're going to get today. So we can help you get the rice dice in your hand. Eh, can we? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> Look, we'll have an affiliate link to Easy Roller in the show notes, and that's the best I can do for you, man. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those are the right dice. Um, yeah. So there's a couple things I, I kind of want to I want to call out when we talk about uh, different systems as we move down the line. When we talk about a particular dice system, we might describe the probability distribution. Uh, and all this is, you know, we'll name it. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can go read about it later. But essentially, that describes, it's a, it's a formula that describes the likelihood of a result. Attached to that, we might describe the probability density function, which is the likelihood of any one result. And Dan, so this is some music. one more thing and then finally we might talk about the cumulative distribution function and what this is is essentially you don't care what the likelihood of rolling a 13 is you care about the likelihood of rolling a 13 or better and to do that we have to look at the cumulative distribution function we won't describe how to get it we're not going to list out formulas but we will describe the result what's the likelihood of getting an 18 or above or a 17 or above let's just start dead simple you have a die uh pick your favorite die not that one not that one either how about a d6 okay that's a that's a very nice die randall (laughs) so you just had um it's my game Con die yeah (laughs) all right so chances are you've seen a d6 it's the one that looks like a cube uh so it's got six sides numbered one to six. Very simple. People who play board games but not tabletop RPGs still know what it is. They might not have any idea what you're saying when you say, yes, roll me 2d6, but you get it. Pretend D6. you're playing crafts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Do you mean like Monopoly dice? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> Weird. It counts one to Monopoly man on this one. Yeah. Uh, all right so ash uh, you can answer this one Mm. um how likely are you to roll a one on a six-sided die you don't want me to answer that (laughs) i am gonna i I promise you it's exactly as easy as you think it is it's it's one in six okay all right i thought i thought this was a trick question i was gonna say one in six we're all friends here there's no tricks no actually there's gonna be a trick later but it's fine so just a disclaimer for people, uh, the, I am not good with numbers. I see numbers and I, my brain gets all twisty and I turn into caveman ash. So if it sounds like I am not very smart in this conversation, you know why. <laughs> but but that's just it. Like 
if you can understand, like you have a one in six chance of getting any given face on a six sided die, like it honestly doesn't get that much more complicated than that. Like it, there are formulas to calculate things and like the numbers can sound big and scary and confusing, but the fundamental assumption is just, I have a die. It has some number of faces and each die or each face on that die is equally likely to come up. And what can I do with that information? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I figured that's what it was, but uh, uh, just knowing me that I would somehow make it wrong. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's going to be great. All right. So th- there, there's a couple other things that I think are worth calling out uh, with our one die. Um, so the distribution you would consider this is a uniform distribution because every face has a uniform likelihood. It has the same likelihood as every other face. Right. So there's a one in six chance that I would roll any face. Okay. Okay. There's two other things I want to talk about here, and it's going to get more important as we step into more complicated die systems. One is the expectation value, or what most people would call the mean. And this is basically what is the average thing that I would roll if I rolled this particular set of dice. Um, so if I'm just rolling a D6, the expectation value is 3.5. Now, you can't actually roll 3.5. What that really means <laughs> is that it's equally likely I would roll, um, on average, my average value would be between 3 and 4. If I rolled 100 times, I would expect if I took the total sum of everything I rolled divided by 100, I would get 3.5. So you're talking about average rolls. Yes. Exactly. So exactly. like when people uh, talk about average damage of a monster, they're taking that 3.5 and they're multiplying it times the number of dice that you roll. Perfect. For that. Exactly. exactly. Yes. And then typically rounding because they're not going to be handing out half damage. Right, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, perfect. Exactly, you got it. Mm-hmm. Something that it doesn't matter for a uniform distribution because they're identical, but it will matter for some other things is the median, which is at what value are half of the possibilities below me and half the possibilities after me. Uh, so the way that I, I love to describe this is think of like income distribution in America. If you take oh, the... Boy. Yeah, we're going here. Uh, I should have gotten it. I should have gotten a different example, but we're here now. Um, oh, if, we're if in you, spicy territory. Here. Yeah, if you take the average uh, wealth or average income in America, it's going to be a number because it is biased by some very, very, very wealthy people bringing up the average. But those are only one people, two people, four people, five people that account for like ten percent of all wealth. If we were to go to the 50th percentile, where I am behind that one person, where literally half of America has less wealth than me and half of America has more wealth than me, I will have less wealth at that 50% spot than the average wealth of all people, because those very wealthy people are dragging up the averages. Don't you? It would be like if you're D6, the six face was like 500. It's like Don't just you? skew the average. Don't you love American economic policy? It's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's like everybody has some version of this. Our version of it is a version. Okay. <laughs> Something else I want to point out, and this is actually just getting nerdy. So maybe Ash, I don't want to earmuffs, whatever. Uh, and <laughs> cue the music. <laughs> uh, with a discrete roll, like rolling, rolling a, uh, a single die, the actual ordering of the numbers don't matter. It might as well have been if you put, you know, uh, on my D4, it was labeled as Randall, Daniel, Tyler, Ash. 
it only matters when you want to say if that number is greater than or less than something, or if you actually want to subtract the value. So when you look at a system like your zero engine or shadow run, where you're basically, well, how many sixes did you run? It doesn't have to be the six. We could have said the three was the magic number. And we could have counted that up. And I think that's just a neat thing. We're going to put that in our pocket. Maybe we'll come back to it later. Would you excuse me for just right. one second? Nerds! Okay. It just <laughs> needed to be said. <laughs> well, love you. Did Randall. try and warn you up front. <laughs> All right. So let so let's talk about bell curves. Uh, if you if you've ever been graded on a curve, you probably hate them. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So let let's talk about perhaps the most easily recognizable bell curve in all of tabletop RPGs: great axes versus great swords. Now oh, yeah. in in most editions of D&D, great sword does 2d6 damage, great axe does 1d12. Which is better? Fight. Ooh, I can answer this. Um, All right. Uh I think I think I can answer this. So 2d6 is going to get you better average damage, right? But uh 2d12 is better for critting. 1d12. Or, sorry, my bad. 1d12. Yeah. See, I'm already <laughs> lost. I'm already embarrassing myself. Okay. No, you're doing great. So, so 2d6 is better overall in terms of just average damage. But 1d12 is better for when you're critting, especially if you're like a barbarian where you get brutal critical because it at you during the verbiage on it is it says you get to add an additional damage die. So, um, if you're just adding another d6 your max damage that you can roll on that is another six but if you're adding another 12 max you can roll on that is 12 so for brutal critical in particular a d12 is better which is why you see uh barbarians with axes great axes all the time rather than great swords but great swords are just better in general because your average damage will be better how'd i do exactly <laughs> no that, perfect that's Nailed exactly it, it. yeah and, uh okay so the, the follow-up question, I'm going to turn this one on Randall. Uh, or Sorry, Ash, first question. Oh, boy. What are the odds of rolling a 12 on a d12? One out of 12? Exactly. Yay. Randall, what are the odds <laughs> of rolling a 12 on 2d6? A bit less than 3% of the time. So three out of 100 times you Which would expect is, to roll. Ugh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. less likely than rolling a natural 20. Oof. Yeah, and, yeah. and to maybe put this concrete... Um, rolling 12 on a D12 is about three times more likely than rolling 12 on 2D6. Yeah. So like that, that is the fundamental trade between those two weapons. The distribution of the 2D6 is called a, a bell curve because when you draw it on a graph, it looks like a bell. It's, it's kind of fat and wide. Except actually, um, so okay, it, I'm, I'm gonna nitpick after a guy named Bell. Are you no, well no, 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 actually no. in this conversation. I am. I'm gonna, <laughs> well actually, actually, I'm gonna need you to do earmuffs. No, um, oh, so God. typically, when you talk about a bell curve, you're talking about a normal distribution, and a normal distribution only applies if it's a continuous random variable because we're talking about discrete random variables. We would call this a multi multinomial distribution. Dan, cue the music. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, if, if anyone at home is lost by that Randall had to explain this to me twice today so it, it's fine but, but also okay here's the deal everybody just ignore it unless you're into it in case don't ignore it there will be a link in the show notes okay 
to what okay. college math. Um, so, <laughs> listeners at home, we do have homework for you. So please make sure that you read the homework before you listen to the podcast. No, 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 no. You don't. You don't need any of this. Okay, <laughs> you will be graded on a curve. Oh God! <laughs> oh, God, no, no. <laughs> Wait, isn't the curve supposed to help me? Isn't the curve my friend? No, no. the curve is always your enemy. I don't know what you're talking the curve about. Is, yeah, the curve is always your enemy. The curve is a crutch. Yeah, but, but everybody was told me I was at the top of the bell curve. Yeah, <laughs> oof. Yeah, big oof, buddy. Big oof. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so, so bell curves. The the really high part in the middle is the stuff that's most likely to happen, which is that that average result of seven for your 2d6. Now, as you get more smaller dice, so like switch to d4s and then to d2s, like that bell curve gets like real, really tall and skinny. So you're going from like nice big fat bell on 2d6 to like that's basically an upside down champagne flute. <laughs> So you're going to skew more and more towards that average because there's like there's less variation in the numbers. Like if you're just flipping six coins, you're going to get seven. I'll take well, your word on that. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. It's fine, though. Let's 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 okay. talk. So <laughs> the let's say I'm flipping <laughs> coins and on head, I take two damage on tail one damage. That'd be the equivalent of having a, a D2 because because it is a D2 in this case. OK. Yeah. <laughs> The expectation value for 6d2 is 9. Oh, that's right. Okay. The expectation value for 2d6 is 7. And the expectation value for 1d12 is 6.5. So as we form the bell curve, it moves up and to the right, basically. Exactly. It's skinnier and off to the right. Yeah. There's one other interesting thing that I want to point out here. With the number of dice you roll, the minimum amount of damage that you do also goes up. And I think that's an important part of this as well. Uh, with one d twelve, I'm going to roll a one as often as I'm going to roll a twelve. Okay, so it's like, oh, you know, I want to get those big hits in. It's like, yeah, you're going to get the big hits. You're also going to get big whiffs too. With the two d six, the minimum you can roll is a two. If somehow you convince the DM, it's like, you know what, I really want to do. I just, I want these little coins. I'm going to go sixty two. Your minimum damage is six. <laughs> All right. So taking this to absurdity, you recognize like the more you get to roll, you're moving your minimum up. Uh, and your expectation value is also going up. And so generally, uh, if if you, for a given peak amount of damage, the more dice you can roll to potentially get there, overall is going to allow you to deal more damage in a campaign. So fireball all the time. Just, just fireball. Them. Just fireball. <laughs> Only fireball. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Aver- <laughs> average damage on 86 is 28. So if you roll somewhere in the range of 28, you're doing great. If you break 30, high five. Well done. We should uh, we should fireball in an ad break right here. Oh, that was smooth. Uh, no, you that did it. That was very smooth. Bravo, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Fire's out and we're back. <laughs> and for right. those of you who are falling at home, yes, the episode is only 20 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've talked about bell curves we've talked about damage we briefly mentioned fireball and that was plenty honestly let's talk about advantage and disadvantage because these are super super important concepts in 5e and like everybody knows how good it feels to roll with advantage how good well how bad it feels to roll with disadvantage 
And uh, the math here is a little complicated. Um, it's it's no more complicated than what we talked about for the past few minutes, but uh, we'll we'll say it's more interesting. So if you look at the rules in the player's handbook, your passive skills increase by five if you have advantage. So if you you have a passive perception of whatever, if you have advantage on perception for some reason, your passive perception increases by five, and that has led people to generally assume that rolling with advantage is equivalent to roughly plus five disadvantage uh roughly equivalent to minus five and that's not quite correct it's a little more complicated yeah so i mean the first thing worth saying the actual expectation value so in other words the average that you expect with advantage is between three and four better than without advantage um so the the expectation value goes up by three and some change (laughs) If you're rolling with advantage, it goes down three and some change if you're rolling with disadvantage. But I want to do a quick pop quiz because I think this is interesting. (laughs) If you are rolling with advantage, Tyler, what is the most likely roll that you would roll? All the values one to 20. What is the value you are most likely to get? Okay. See, you asked me this one offline and I got it wrong. So I'm going to pass to Ash. (laughs) Share in my suffering, Ash. Just shaking of the head, no. Um, well, okay, l- five, let's pause for a second. No, 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 let's, let's pause. <laughs> let's work through this together. Do you, so we talked about with the uniform distribution. If I just roll one die, every number is equally likely, right? Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to roll with advantage, which is always pushing whatever I roll up. So if all the numbers between 1 and 20 used to be equally likely, what do we think the most likely number to roll with advantage is? I'm going to stick with five. Final answer. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's higher than that. Uh, yeah. Ten? Ten? Okay. No, that's real close. I'm going to go. You're I'm going to tell you. There. <laughs> what is it? What is... There. No. Um... <laughs> Dan, cut that. Uh, okay. So. No, keep it in, Dan. He has to live with the shame. If they're going to DMCN episode, make it this one. (laughs) Okay, so the most likely roll on a roll with advantage is a 20. What? It is. Yeah. Statistically, it is the most likely thing to roll. Not for me. (laughs) Well, hey, you should get your dice checked. Yeah, tell me about it. The thing is, it's the most likely compared to every other possible result, not compared to, like, the sum of all of our other possible results. Exactly. So you're going to roll a 20 on a roll with advantage a little bit less than 10% of the time. Doesn't seem is, like it happens. That seems wild, right? <laughs> no. But it, yeah. it, it doesn't feel true to life. <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Although I have seen a lot of double nat 20s in my life. Uh, okay. The I odds of that happening... <laughs> yes, somebody else at the table. Usually, yes. when I'm DM or G- DMing or GMing, yeah, yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, so the likelihood of rolling double twenties is one in four hundred. Minuscule, yeah. right? Like that's never going to happen. But when you're when you're rolling with advantage, um, the most likely roll that you are going to get is a twenty at almost ten percent. Mm. So it's like twenty and a twenty, twenty and a nineteen, twenty and eighteen. Like count that down and then flip the dice and like. It it's what thirty nine out of four hundred possible combinations. Exactly, it's like just a hair short of ten percent. So um, get advantage wherever possible, or avoid yeah. getting advantage on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And then <laughs> let's flip it around. What's the most likely roll that I'm going to get with disadvantage? One. Exactly. You got it. Okay. Uh, and, and it's, it's symmetric. So like as, as bad as advantages is as wait, no, as good as advantages, it's that one <laughs> is as bad as disadvantages. Um, a couple other things that I think are interesting here. So the expectation value for rolling with advantage is about 14. With, if you're round, yeah. Yeah. With, with disadvantage, it's about seven. With advantage, 50% of the time, you will roll a 15 or better. Okay. Now, I want to go back to um, you know what Tyler called out at the beginning of the episode. In 5e, there is an assumption that if you were good at something and you roll an eight, you are going to succeed on the average check for that. Okay. Rolling with advantage, you will roll an eight or higher 87% of the time. Which is like, if you flatten that to a D20, it's like succeeding on a three, basically. So, so almost guaranteed, not quite guaranteed, but pretty close. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, if I was going to give you nine out of ten odds on something, you'd take it. All right. Yeah, so uh, that's true. So we love to think about, you know, I'm going to get advantage and I'm hoping I'm going to crit on this thing. But even just having that guarantee that this skill check is going to land or that this hit is going to land, uh, having advantage is really going a far way to do that. Okay. For disadvantage, 50% of the time, you'll get a seven or better. So half of your rolls will be somewhere between seven and 20. Half of your rolls will be between one and six. Yeah. Which if you're going off of the eight, eight plus bonus being success assumption, that means that you're going to fail 50% of the time. The with the eight plus bonus being a success, it means you're going to succeed 65% of the time. And again, that's like the fundamental assumption in five E. So you're losing 15% of your success chance by having disadvantage so you're saying when i roll a four and then a five on advantage i'm a statistical anomaly (laughs) (laughs) correct i i will again repeat you should probably get your your dice checked i don't know what it is man like it just happens to me way too often Uh, yeah i i really that feeling i want to build like a little mechanism to just put my dice in and like roll them, read the surface and do that like 10,000 times and tell me if my dice are fair or bias towards me. Cause I would take that honestly. Yeah. I would take that too. I would take that. Yeah. I need like, there needs to be a company out there just called lion dice. Uh, please don't actually do this. I'm not actually encouraging this. It's just no, a funny thing. This. We need to find out which of the dice are bad and are biased against us so that we can shame them. Yeah, just <laughs> straight to dice jail. There's a company called Game Science that makes the world's most precise dice, like perfectly weighted. Oh, I want to see if we can get them to hang out with us. They seem cool. Oh, man, we could use that to calibrate our uh, our dice goblin shaker. Uh, I've seen the dice in person. They're very sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. That's how they get there. (laughs) So when we talk about 5e and Pathfinder 2, I think what we talked about so far covers most of the rules we're going to make in that game. In 5e, we have the idea of advantage or disadvantage. In Pathfinder 2, we have advantage or disadvantage with the the, the name scraped off. Uh, And then we have adding dice together um, to create multinomial distributions to get these numbers like 2d6 or, you know, 8d6 in our fireball for 5e, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of other systems that have uh, what I would consider interesting and novel ideas 
for how we're going to get to a probability uh, that are different than what we've already discussed. So let's go and step into some of those. Uh, so first game we're going to step into is just called Caltrops. <laughs> <laughs> it took Ouch. a second. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. so, so let's talk about some Year Zero Engine games. Uh, we're big fans of Free League here. So this is um, Mutant Year Zero, Alien, Forbidden Lands, several other excellent games. Vampire the Masquerade. So Vampire the it uses is Vampire a, the Masquerade built on the Year Zero uh, engine? Well, it uses D10s, and you get success on a 6. So, yeah. Same thing. It, wait, it uses D10s, and you get success on a 6? Mm-hmm. And that's you add awesome. Up your, you add up your oh, successes oh. together. I assume that's... Only a 6 or 6 and up? 6 and up. Oh! Okay, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Okay. Wait, so it's a, right. it's a coin. Like, why not just have a bag of coins? Well, because it's, uh, uh, I think this year zero works this way too. It's like you skill plus attribute. So you make a dice pool and you roll those D tens and you're trying to get a certain number of successes and flipping, flipping eight D twos kind of sucks. Maybe that's it. And I guess that's my call out (laughs) is like, if, if what you're doing is one through five and six through 10 are one through five is a failure, six through 10 is a success. Then on each test, in other words, each die you have a 50-50 shot of succeeding, it sounds like, in Vampire. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then the real question is, can I get enough successes in my overall test to to overcome? Like, if I had to have three successes, did I get there? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that matches uh, Year Zero Engine. Year Zero Engine, typically you're rolling sixes, and only the six counts as a success. Ah. And it, it it's on a D six, so oh, like, gotcha. So it's even yeah, exactly. worse odds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. It, it is a one six chance per per dice roll, and then hopefully mm. your pool is large enough to give you some statistical certainty that you're actually going to hit your target. Mm. Yeah. Now the the alien RPG is kind enough to just it, it just has a chart in it that says this is your percent chance of success based on how many dice you have and like whether or not you're willing to push the roll. Uh, so so. Like, just go grab the rule book. It's really good. And then look at the table. It's nice. But uh, you don't hit 50-50 odds of success until you have four dice in your pool. And that's the point where you can be like, okay, like, I'm passably good at this thing. I'm not going to reliably succeed, but it's worth actually trying. So the goal is to get one six. Is that it? You just need one six somewhere. Okay. Actually, so this is interesting. A lot of year zero engine games, one success may not be enough to achieve something. You might need two successes, three successes. They did not give us the charts in the game. So if you want to know the likelihood of succeeding in this me- in this way, for like if I need three successes and I have five dice in my dice pool, you have to go online to a calculator or you have to do what I did this morning and write you know, write some Python or some R code to actually calculate it. <laughs> cool. Sounds like a system that would hate me. <laughs> I almost or, never roll sixes on D6. Alternatively, <laughs> just back to Dice Christ. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> yes. of course. Dice Christ is savior. Uh, RN Jesus is a false prophet. Okay, so don't listen to him. Uh, Dice Christ is all there is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to bring up uh, a, a stupid thing. Um, are you guys familiar with the Monty Hall problem? No. Yes. Okay, that's kind of the answer I expected. Okay, so so Monty Hall was a uh, 
game show host. This was before I was born, so I'm uh, I'm repeating this through uh, several layers of telephone. So, Monty Hall, game show. You win the game show. At the end, there are three doors. Behind the doors are prizes. Uh, one of the doors has a goat behind it. I believe the objective was actually to get the goat. I may be getting this wrong. Don't I, quote me. I, I think no. Flip it. Okay. There, there it's are two goats two, and a prize. Yeah, two goats and a prize. The Honestly, goal is to get the sense. prize. Um, yes. Okay, I'll take it from here. <laughs> you should. Thank you. Here's what happens. I say I want door number one. They will then open door number two or door number three and show me a goat. So now there are only two doors left. And the question is, do I stay with my original guess, door number one, or do I switch to three? Statistically, what is more likely to be correct? And this is a, this is a, a typical problem. If you take a stats class at some point, you're going to get introduced to this, and they're going to make you rationalize what the right answer is. So I will pose to each of you, do you change doors or do you keep your original door and why? I'm confused. Okay. So they show you where the goat is. They right? show you where one of the two goats is. Oh, there's two goats. I thought there was only one. No, I got that part wrong. Oh, That's my okay. bad. Yeah, so there's one prize, two goats. They show you one of the goats, which means behind your door is either the last goat or a prize. So do you switch to get uh, the other door, which could be the prize, could be a goat, or do you stick with your original guess? It's a 50-50 shot then. It is not, and that's that's the teaching moment. Oh. Okay. You initially had a one-third chance to be correct. There was always one more bad door if you picked the wrong door, or there were two bad doors out there. So they just reveal to you what is at least one of the bad doors left. So now there are two doors left. But you had a two-thirds chance of being wrong in the beginning. So you should change your answer. Interesting. Explain. The, yes. Okay, the way that I like <laughs> to talk about this is let's go to absurdity. And in math, a lot of times, this is the most useful way to do this. There are now 100 doors. You pick one door. Let's say you pick door number one because you love it. Okay? That means you had a 1 in 100 chance of being right in the beginning and a 99 in 100 chance of being wrong. They open 98 other doors. So now it's just your door and one more door. Should you change or not? Yes. I want to say yes. You should change. And the reason you should change is you had a one in a hundred chance of being right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and you've cut it down to 50-50. Well, but it, it isn't 50-50. There's a 99% chance the other door is the mm-hmm. right door. The 50-50 is an illusion, just the fact that there's two doors. You have a prior, uh, and your prior is that there was a 99% chance you were wrong going in. Okay. All right. So you should use your prior, plus the evidence of the 98 doors that have been open, to pick the other door. Okay. Now, the reason I brought that nonsense in is for push mechanics in year zero engine games. I'm looking this forward to listening to you land this. <laughs> I, I won't. <laughs> um, okay, so, so in year zero engine games, uh, you can roll dice, uh, and then you can choose to push, quote-unquote, which is essentially, I can choose to re-roll any unsuccessful dice at a cost. Usually it's you take damage of some kind or something like that. In Alien, you get a stress die, and that um, gives you a chance of rolling a face hugger. Things get weird. Um, yes, one, two, three, four, five, face hugger. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, so that's, that's not the F word I would have used, but okay. That's, that's yeah. really bad odds. All right. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so if, if you push, you're, you're re-rolling knowing like I have not succeeded or I have not gotten enough successes. Um, and that can significantly improve your odds of success because you have the initial roll and plus like the potential of pushing to re-roll to improve your odds. So if you look at the handy table in the alien book, like your chances of success don't double, but you have that that prior outcome to base your decision on. And that can kind of help inform your choices. But in general, just just put this table on an index card and just be like, I have this many dice. Uh, how much does this matter to me? If I push, I still have a 29% chance. Eh, I'm not going to bother. So I'll just, I'll just basic, fail. Basically what you guys are saying is probability is influenced by prior knowledge. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that's, yeah, Bayesian statistics. We'll have a link in the show notes. <laughs> Reminds me of that joke from Futurama about quantum measurements. Where it's like, no fair. You changed the outcome by measuring it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. After the show, we're going to talk about that. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, another theorem. We will have a link in the show notes. One of the famous uh, uh, women physicists of all time. <laughs> Man, show notes are going to be extra weird today. Oh, they're going to be, be wild. <laughs> it's going to be uh, dice, Futurama, and real-world mathematicians and physicists. <laughs> going to be great. All right. So let's talk about one ring, because it's similar but different to your Zero Engine games. Like, when I cracked open One Ring 2nd Edition and I went and read the dice, I'm like, oh, okay, it's the year Zero Engine plus this weird D- <laughs> D12 thing. <laughs> but where, no. wh- what's coming out of the corner? Oh, it's a spicy D12. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So if you haven't played One Ring 2E, there's two kinds of dice. There's the D12, the uh, the feet die, and then there's skill dice. Skill dice measure how good you are at something. The feet die is just straight probability. So the D- it goes 1 to 10, Sauron, Gandalf, because they are numbers. Sauron is just zero. Gandalf is automatic success, which, which makes the math here just wacky, weird, and impossible. Uh, skill dice are 1 to 6, and if you get a success, if you get a six, you get a great success or a like uh, they have other adjectives for better than great. But basically, you get to do extra things yeah. like so many superlatives or extra here. So many superlatives. Yes. Um, so me as someone who who can generally kind of vaguely sort out dice math, um, I look at this and it melts my brain a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to say so getting sixes is good because there there are degrees of success based on getting those sixes, but you still have to add up these numbers to beat a test number. All right. So you're actually measuring on two axes where it's like, well, how many sixes did you get? Uh, Cause that's going to determine the degree of success if you're successful. But before we get there is the sum of your feet die and your skill die enough to hit your test number. Okay. So uh, my character now, one of my ability, uh, my test number is 17. And in there, I have several. Uh, I, I have several skills where I have two d sixes. Okay, so my expectation value on my d twelve, barring the eleven and twelve, is actually a five point five. Where a twelfth of the time I'm just going to succeed no matter what. A twelfth of the time I'm going to fail no matter what. And then I have these other ten numbers I could do something with. Okay, my two sixes expectation value for each is three point five. So three point five plus three point five seven plus the five point five. Uh, is 12.5. Let's call it 13. 
Okay. My expectation value for rolling is 13. My test number is 17. It is practically hopeless, right? Yeah. I have to get so lucky. I have to beat the expectation by so much. And I finally figured out in the last session, like I keep doing these things. I'm like, oh, I got so many points in here. Doesn't matter. You know, I, oh, I, I have, I have three skill dice in my, in my pool for this. Okay. Let's add a little bit more. Still, my average roll is going to be lower in my test number. I am going to fail greater than 50% of the time. Yeah. So, so the lesson to take away from that is uh, starting characters in one ring to each, just expect to fail constantly. Well, like, I'll, I'll pitch it differently. Be hard, Do right? not bother investing points in skills where you have a high test number. If your test number is greater than 15, put them somewhere else and count on other people in the party to be able to handle everything in that column. Because there's there's three columns of skills. There's three core ability mm-hmm. scores that matter here. Uh, and I think that's my biggest takeaway. Whatever you have a 13 in, dump it in there. Because you want guaranteed successes. When somebody's like, I don't know, you know, can can you make an awe check? Yes, I will make the awe check and I will nail it. <laughs> yeah, I, I made the mistake of uh, building a character with 46s in uh, in a skill in the column where I have the worst target number. And not only am I constantly failing at those checks, I also never roll sixes when I do succeed. So it's just it, just straight misery. Yeah. Now, the, the last thing I'll say, and this is, again, uh, nerdy talk, a little bit of nerdy talk. This system is complicated <laughs> enough that if, if you do go off, do go off. <laughs> um, I, I, I will probably build a model for this, but I'm not actually going to build an analytic model to calculate the likelihood. I'm going to do what's called Monte Carlo, where I'm going to set up something that basically says I can generate each of these individual dice rolls. And then I can grade it to say what the outcome of that against some test number and then I'm just going to do that 10,000 times and I'm going to plot it. And then I'm going to hand that to Tyler and say, here, this is the distribution. He's going to say, oh, what is this distribution? And I'm going to say, I don't know. It's this one. Uh, Monte Carlo <laughs> yeah, analysis, so talked, link in the show notes. We've talked about Monty Hall. We've talked about Monte Carlo. I have not figured out a way to sneak Monty Cook in here, but so many Montes. Uh, well, let's uh, actually let's do it real quick. So, Money Cook, uh, Money Cook Games. <laughs> for folks who maybe don't know, Cipher System just put out an open gaming license for Cipher System. One of the coolest things for Cipher System, as a player, you know what you need? A D twenty. You know what the probability in a D twenty is? It's uniform and it's great and it's simple. Money it Cook, way to nail it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've talked about all these game systems. We've gotten gradually worse. Now let's take away numbers. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, sweet Jesus. But before we do that. But first. No. No. <laughs> you <laughs> promised. I was <laughs> deceived. I'm no, I'm rioting. This is a this is this is mutiny. This is what's happening. Ash, Ash, I just want to do an ad. Oh, okay. We can do that then. <laughs> Okay, are you okay, buddy? You ready to go on? (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're back. The numbers have fallen off of uh, all of the things. My dice are covered in these weird little symbols. Let's talk about Star Wars. Uh, All right. So the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game, which I've referenced frequently on this podcast, also the Genesis system, which is um, Fantasy Flight and Edge Studios, their generic version of the same rules, basically. 
they have replaced all of the numbers on the dice that you know and love with these weird symbols that we frequently refer to as chicken entrails. Because until you figure out how the system works, like looking at all these things is like, I have, I think that's a lightsaber and this one's like a, a an X and like, how do I add those? It's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at them now. It's, it's uh, it is like looking at chicken entrails. That's for sure. I think I, I prefer the like, numbers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they took a failure and then they drew circles around it and said, "This is worse." <laughs> Kinda. Um, so this is a like three axis probability thing. Uh, so there's success failure, which is just pass fail on your thing. There's advantage threat, which is like a good thing happens and a bad thing happens. And then there's triumph and despair, which is something really good or something really bad happens. You can have any of those in any combination and like they cancel each other out on the three axes. And then eventually you might come out with a role where it's like, okay, uh, I didn't succeed. I didn't fail. I've got 20 advantage. Now what? And uh, if I remember right from reading the like the very, very first cool rule book, uh, Edge of the Empire, there was stuff in there that was basically like, eh, you can't really optimize this game. You can't really do this in the math to like solve this system. Watch me. I just want to <laughs> call out in the show notes, you put, can we do math, dice math without numbers? And underneath it said, LOL, you literally can't stop us. Well yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's honestly it's simpler than you might think. Uh you just add up the count for a symbol on a given die divided by the number of faces. So like the success die has five success symbols, eight faces, so you have a five eighths chance of rolling a success. So if you have like a bunch of dice, a bunch of uh the green dice ability dice, you just say, okay, each of these is worth roughly five-eighths of a success and you just need to have on average like add those up until that is more than the failures than you're going to get from your difficulty dice now ash i don't think i've gotten around to playing this with you but no. um, in in this system you roll your your dice for how successful you might be and the dice for the difficulty at the same time that's your dice pool oh, so boy. green dice for like i am strong red dice for like this is hard and roll those together and the successes and failures can cancel each other out now i'm looking at a table here which was stolen out of one of the books i believe and weirdly the difficulty dice only have four failure symbols so if you have an ability die versus a failure die you are very slightly more likely to succeed because there's more success symbols but there's also more of the threat symbols so the most likely outcome is you'll just barely succeed with a threat, which means like you'll succeed, something mildly bad will happen. I see. Yes, and that uh, way overcomplicates things in a lot of ways. But you can still look at like, okay, I've got green dice and yellow dice for things that I'm good at, and I'm like, I can just write down on my character sheet like my average roll on this thing is X successes, X advantage, X triumph. And then when you look at the difficulty of things, you can be like, okay, it's this many difficulty and. Uh, the red dice are when real scary things happen, like when you fight Darth Vader or whatever. So you can look at those numbers and say, okay, based on what I have here, I am more than more likely than not to succeed. So I'm going to try that thing. Otherwise you might say like, eh, this isn't going to work out for me. Uh, I'm going back to the ship. Good luck guys. 
Yeah. And I think this is where it would be good. uh, And I guess, Tyler, we should talk about this. But having a couple of numbers written down where it it basically says, okay, for my dice bowl, how many difficulty dice do I need to have, let's say, a one third chance of succeeding, a 50% chance of succeeding, and a two thirds chance of succeeding? And if you know those three numbers, I feel like you could use those to make pretty strong decisions where it's like, okay, if it's below the third, you're kind of getting to the point where like, why even bother pushing your luck? Find a different way to approach this problem. If it's beyond two thirds, uh, you know, I like my odds. Let's party. <laughs> so and, uh, essentially the Star Wars game developers took a look at all of our numbered dice and said, that's not complicated enough. Let's fix it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could create the same die by just saying, I'm going to roll a D8 and a five or below is a success and six, seven or eight is failure. Or the opposite. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whichever way, however you want to do. Are big numbers good? Good. Big numbers are good then. Big numbers make cave friend <laughs> Branko burr. <laughs> well uh at some point i'm gonna try and get somebody from edge studios on here to talk to us about genesis because the dice system is actually super cool well I, even when i'm sure it is i just can't i it. just can't follow it when you're describing it to me but i think if i were to play it, it would be very cool <laughs> okay so there's one more topic i want to talk about i've never actually played a game with them but i think they're really cool mathematically exploding dice uh i think deadlands does exploding dice that feels right yeah yeah deadlands i think savage worlds does it uh cobalt press tome of heroes had exploding dice for gunpowder weapons yeah yeah it's a cool mechanic it feels very satisfying but unless you're rolling like a huge number of dice they just don't explode enough to really make any mathematical difference yeah and so so let's maybe call it out so let's assume we're working with the d6 because that's been our favorite die of the night uh and maybe actually this is worth saying so the idea of an exploding die typically uh is that if you roll the highest number on the dice that has the potential to explode you will roll another one of the same size and if you roll the highest number again you roll it again you keep going until you don't get the highest number Okay, so there is actually a very simple probability distribution that models this. It's called a geometric distribution. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to go take a look. Uh, What this tells us for a D6, 14% of the time, about, you will roll it once and you will not roll again. 11% of the time, you'll roll twice. 10% of the time, you'll roll three times. 8% you'll roll four times. 7% you'll roll five times. And then, you know, on and on, it keeps getting this longer tail because as you keep rolling, what are the odds that you keep hitting? But the idea is uh, there's a reasonable chance that you're going to hit this. And if you have a large enough dice pool, this only gets better or worse, depending on what side of the table you're sitting on. <laughs> so it's it's cool. Recognize that if you want to play the exploding dice game, your best bet is to have a large pool of small die because that increases the likelihood that you're going to hit you know, like your your favorite is that 62 we talked about earlier. If you give me exploding die with 62, I'm going to have a party and I'm going to just deal a whole <laughs> mess of damage, let alone the fact that my expectation value was already higher. This is going to make it so much better. Uh, and at some point, somebody should give that to us because it would make us happy. <laughs> um, except for the fact that we're going to spend 20 minutes every time I attack just flipping coins. <laughs> All right, gang. So we talked a lot about different systems. I want to have a discussion 
about what would be a cool mechanic that we've never seen done with dice. Uh, uh, do you have an idea? I do. I, I have read a lot of Please dice. Please share <laughs> with the class. <laughs> I've seen so many dice. Okay. <laughs> I want a tiered success system. So think like crit success, crit failure, and Pathfinder 2. Um, think year zero engine where I'm counting the number of successes. Where my base, if I choose not to roll die, is a success, but not a very satisfying one. If you choose not to roll yeah, die. Yeah, come with me. Okay. okay. It's not very satisfying. That, that's the key here. I'm going to roll a die for evens or odds. I want 50-50 chance. I could flip a coin, whatever. Okay. And then I'm going to roll a pool of D6s. And I get to choose up to a cap based on skill how many dice I put in that pool. If I'm really good at something, I can maybe go up to four. If I'm, if I'm you know, trained but not an expert, I, I get one. Okay. I roll that D6. If it's even, I get to add the D6. If it's odd, I get to subtract the D6. Whoa, Satan, slow down. Okay, so (laughs) my base is success. But what I get to do is have wildly amazing success or wild failures, you know, because of my hubris. And then the (laughs) mechanics of it, which be maybe I get advantage on the even odd roll. So I'm much more likely to be successful than not in certain circumstances or if I'm trained in something. But there's still that probability that I'm going to be like, I got this. What's everybody worried about? And then I fail miserably. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I mean, if you take the average of the odd values on a D6 compared to the average of the even values, you're more likely going to benefit from any of those dice. But there is still a pretty good chance that it's not going to work out for well, you. I, so I was thinking that you would roll a separate die to get the even or odd. Like one mm-hmm. die just determines up or uh, down. And then I have a separate dice pool, which is, um, yeah. Got it. So base would be 50-50. But then if I'm training something, maybe I get advantage. And so I get to roll two die and pick whatever I prefer. Disadvantage, I get to roll two die and, and take the worst of the situation. Um, but um, okay. imagine <laughs> the failures. Oh, that would be pretty. Yeah, silly. that would be interesting for sure. All right. Well, uh, hey, I'm going to read the question of the week this week. So this comes from underscore Dave Shep on Twitter. I want to have a morally gray antagonist, but I'm concerned my party will side with him. Boy, I've been there. Uh, how do you run a villain like that? Maybe like Killmonger, right idea, brutal execution. Oh, thank God. A thing I can answer. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, so morally great villains can be diff- can, can be um, tricky to run. Yeah, if you don't want your party to join with them. The way that I would balance gray villains in my in my experience is you want to have a villain who has sympathetic, sympathetic goals, not good goals, but sympathetic goals, but his methods of achieving said goals are not great. So probably a great example of this would be, um, uh, so one of my favorite villains that I have ever seen in any media is, uh, a man named Emmett Selk from final fantasy 14. And he is essentially trying to there. The world is divided into a bunch of different like reflections of itself, sort of like the Feywild and the Shadow Realm. You can think of it that way, uh, the Shadowfell. And he wants to combine all of those worlds into one because he is from the original society before those 
reflection split off. But in order to do that, in order to reclaim his lost society and get his dead friends back, everybody on those reflections needs to die. So, sympathetic goal, he wants his world and his people back. Bad motivations. He's essentially committing genocide. I think gray villains are great. You just need to be careful. Don't have them have sympathetic methods because then there's really no like good methods because then there's really no reason for the players not to side with him. Just have him <laughs> have sympathetic goals. Not necessarily like better goals than what the players are, just sympathetic goals. But his methods of achieving said goals are horrific. Okay, so I really like that. And that would be my first answer. Uh, but you've taken it. Sorry. So I want to give a second. No, no, no. It's, it's beautiful. I think that's, in my mind, that's one of two ways of executing on this is you have sympathy, but the reality of what this person wants to execute is morally unacceptable to the party. So even if they sympathize, they are still going to take actions to stop them. Um, and I think that maybe that's the Killmonger idea. It's like, okay, I still hate what you're doing, so we're going to make it not happen. The other way I could go, which is a little bit more subtle, is everybody familiar with the trolley problem? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the trolley problem is the trolley problem, right? The idea of the trolley problem is that you keep kicking it up a notch until you ultimately get to the point of saying, okay, I have a healthy person with five good organs and five people dying and they need organs. Do I kill the perfectly living healthy person to take their organs and put them in the other? Because utilitarian, like if five lives is greater than one, that's what we should do. And of course, everybody looks at that and says, no, no absolutely not. We're not <laughs> doing that. The question is, where between the trolley problem and this, does the party finally say, oh, I'm, I'm, I can't go with this. And so what I would say is, if you have to think, it's like, okay, cool, you found that sympathetic. Next session, I'm going to reveal just a little bit more. How far does it have to get before the party is like, Okay, no, never mind. This person has to go. We're getting rid of them. <laughs> Just speed run the Geneva Conventions. Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> Man, uh, I think you guys hit it way better than I can. Um, honestly, I have never successfully done that. <laughs> like, I've never successfully had a morally gray villain. So my villains tend to be just, like, mustache-twirling, puppy-kicking evil. Because I... Boy, groups I've run for, I've had to be like, look, this guy is the villain. Please don't. Please don't. Just there he goes kicking a puppy and twirling his mustache. Like, uh, just please. Well, I mean, if you're really nervous about players joining with the villain, have the villain's plans threaten someone that play- those players care about. That's all you got to do realistically like if if they especially if, the, if it's themselves i mean <laughs> some players uh, that that's not always a guarantee some players will be like uh if it achieves a good goal then like uh yeah i'll give my life but yeah, i'll roll a new character yeah, so uh, trust me i've had players like that but like if it only hurts people that the players don't care about they're probably going to side with the villain but as soon as the villain's plans threatens that favorite dog that they have back home they're going to be like, no, that guy needs to die. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that feels true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randall, I believe you and I in our Icewind Dale campaign uh, once raced to save our bar with our pet mummy in it while we let the rest of 10 towns burn to I'm the ground. I'm sorry, you had a pet mummy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he wore Uggs and he was fantastic. <laughs> uh, our uh, Our 
Our bussers were a uh, trio of kobolds in a trench coat. No, I'm not kidding. Oh, that's amazing. That sounds like yeah. an incredible yeah. campaign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is uh, the mummy that you can befriend and the kobolds in a trench coat, those are in the book. Yes, I do know about the kobolds in a trench coat. I did not know about the mummy. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. I think we did it. All hail the leisure Illuminati. Within a statistical distribution of oh, hail. Oh, God. Stop. You must stop. I think that's called Poisson. <laughs> I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Kampcha. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook and Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET, Patreon.com slash RPGBot, and uh, Reddit.com slash R slash RPGBot.net. I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes, and I'm also on StartPlaying.Games. The next game I'm going to be running is uh, Regency Cthulhu, so look out for that. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to rpgbot.content, polls for future content, and access to the rpgbot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash rpgbot. Okay, you 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 called out the Futurama quote of like a no fair you change your result by measuring it. Oh boy. Okay, so there's these really <laughs> he's going to ruin this for yes, us. No, okay, there's there's real <laughs> things called uncertainty principles and yes. it's basically the idea of you you have these um, uh, measurables in quantum physics where you cannot know both simultaneously and in fact if you could somehow manage to measure one with infinite precision the amount that you could understand the other would be uh, zero precision, effectively. Uh, so, Noether's theorem is a like you've heard of Heisen, he, without stuttering Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. No. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> um, uh, the idea that I can't know the position and the velocity, or truly the position and the momentum of something simultaneously. So if I measure exactly where something is, then with its velocity, it could be anywhere in the universe in the next moment. If I knew exactly how fast something was traveling, I can't know exactly where it is in the universe. Um, and there's a, a cap on the amount of total certainty you can have across both variables. Uh, Noether's theorem is a, you could say, like a generalization that allows you to calculate a lot of these uncertainties. Um, and so, yeah, very famous woman physicist. We'll have a link in the show notes. Dan, don't keep <laughs> dear, this in the stinger, please, dear God. <laughs> no, I, I would say, dear, dear God, I hope I remember all of this correctly from, you know, <laughs> 15, oh, 15 years ago. Yeah, I'm sure you're doing great, buddy. You're doing, you're doing just fine. <laughs> Somewhere out there, we've got like one or two physicists listening to this like what are they doing god no this is all wrong